everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on a range of developments within the Beltway and beyond. Uh, joining me for the conversation, glad to welcome back, as always, Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, happy Friday. Welcome back and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Dan. It's good to be with you. I hope you're doing well. Likewise. Thank you, Shane. So I, I know it's been a busy week, a lot to recap. Maybe we can begin. I know we've been hearing about tensions involving the U.S. and France, which resulted in the French ambassador having been recalled from Washington, D.C. Now, I understand that Presidents Biden and Macron have since smoothed things over, so to speak. Though, uh, what was the root of that tension? I think grab some headlines. Yeah, this is an interesting one. This is um, the root here is actually a um, deal with Australia for submarines. You know, uh, obviously Australia is in a key part of the world, uh, being you know neighbors with Asian countries like China, and we all uh, understand the complexities of, of China and their. Uh, looking to expand their uh, power and reach. Um, and that makes, you know, Australia an important ally here. And, you know, if you look at China militarily, you know, their weakness probably is underwater with submarines. So, you know, Australia rightfully so is looking to uh, beef up their presence. And they had, uh, or at least France thought they had a deal uh, to provide Australia with uh, submarines and uh, the tensions arose when Australia pivoted and you know um, uh, opted to go with nuclear-powered U.S.-made submarines and this is a lot of tension for France. You know, um, I, you have to look at it from their perspective of you know where they are, uh, how important you know a business like this is to their economy, and also you know. Uh, uh, um, French President Macron, where he is politically speaking in, in relative to an election. So um, this is a big deal for France. And, you know, at first I thought France was uh, overreacting, but kind of getting the context there is important. But you're right. You know, um, they did react negatively to the U.S. and pull out their uh, ambassador. Um, and since in, in uh, the last few uh, days here, President Biden has spoken to uh, French President Macron and, you know, uh, start to smooth over the situation to the point where they issued a joint statement after their call and they agreed to that the situation would have benefited from, you know, open consultation. So they're, you know, essentially saying, you know, we should have had better communication here and we'll try to do so going forward. So, you know, it was a, a little bit of rough waters. Um, but hopefully uh, we'll get beyond this. Yep, it, it was a fascinating story. I know a lot developed there within a short period of time, and it was encouraging to see the presidents come together and uh, shake hands, so to speak, and it sounds like we're moving forward. So thank you, Shane, for the update there and some color. I do want to follow up on the U.S. southern border. Of course, we've spoken about this quite a few times here on the podcast over the past several months. Now, the drumbeat of concern amongst lawmakers... Uh, this past week, over recent days, it seems to have been growing louder, including an at times contentious, fiery appearance up on Capitol Hill this week uh, by the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. So uh, what's the latest there with the U.S. southern border? 
Yeah, you're right. This has um, been very contentious, not only recently, but for years. You know, the border is uh, one of the, uh, I think, hottest button issues in politics. You know, both sides have very passionate feelings about, um, you know, the, the greater immigration issue, but also as it plays into border uh, issues. So, you know, uh, this latest evolution of that is, um, thousands and thousands of Haitians that are uh, amassing on the border with Mexico. Um, and, you know, keep in mind that, you know, Haiti is an impoverished nation, impoverished nation that has had some difficulties lately, you know, with, with um, hurricanes and earthquakes. So, you know, uh, you, you on some level, you absolutely understand Haitians trying to seek out a better life. Um, and as they do try to come to the U.S. for that better life, you know, via Mexico is causing some real pressure on the border. Um, the latest stir, as you're alluding to, was um, the treatment uh, uh, by border agents of Haitians trying to cross the border. And you saw Secretary uh, Mayorkas, you know, to an extent defending uh, border agents and their actions. But I think Overall, there's been, you know, bipartisan rebuke, and that has um, been noticed by the Biden administration. This is, you know, going to be a lingering issue overall for the Biden administration. You know, you, you and I spoke months ago when uh, Vice President Harris went down to the border, um, and we really haven't seen much uh, develop out of the Biden administration on uh, larger border policy. So, you know, this is a headache for the Biden administration will continue to be and and not to mention as i was alluding to you know essentially um humanitarian crisis that's developing down there it sounds like uh things are developing quickly so it's interesting to hear where we stand today and clearly a lot lies ahead of us as the administration uh lawmakers work to resolve and come up with solutions so i'm sure more to come here though uh, thank you for bringing us up to speed shane up uh, earlier in the year we also talked about police reform initiatives and i did hear this week uh, we learned that bipartisan reform I believe uh, Senators Cory Booker and Tim Scott were involved in this. But uh, these talks, they essentially collapsed up on Capitol Hill. Uh, so what exactly happened and uh, what might come next with respect to police reform, Shane? That's correct. It's unfortunate that it appears the bipartisan um, negotiation has, has failed. And uh, I would agree with that assessment. You know, I think, um, you know, for the for probably... You know, 75 to 90 percent of this bill was agreed upon bipartisan. The major sticking point had to do with qualified immunity, uh, which is to say, you know, uh, legal protections for law officers. You know, if if someone wanted to sue for um, gross uh, negligence or behavior by a law uh, enforcement agent, you know, you essentially sue the department or agency, not the law officer themselves personally. And so the. Stripping qualified immunity would allow uh, said people to uh, directly sue that police officer or agent. So um, that is a no-go for Republicans. Um, Senator Tim Scott, uh, representing Republicans, was trying to uh, find a middle ground and, and um, negotiate um, a breakthrough here. And unfortunately, after months, um, that never materialized. Um, so I don't see any 
changes on uh, policing reforms coming. I think there is a possibility that a Senate vote is still held on what passed the House, but I think that would be largely symbolic as it would not uh, garner 60 votes uh, to pass the Senate, uh, which would be unfortunate. You know, I think maybe we're in the unfortunate situation that um, for more pressure to be added to this scenario um, that would actually uh, get results uh, on the legislative, you know, uh, proposal would require m- more terrible news of um, where policing reforms are needed. Um, so this is unfortunate news today. Um, you know, it can always be brought back, but uh, this is not a good um, signal for things to come on uh, on policing reforms, you know, at this time. Yeah, to your point, Shane, maybe at some point things will reverse, turn around, though it was unfortunate to see uh, what was a bipartisan push fall by the wayside a bit. But uh, thank you there for the color, Shane. Uh, Maybe one final topic we can hit on for this week. Of course, we do need to follow up uh, the ongoing conversation on the government funding bill. Headlines, developments have been coming in uh, quite quickly, even over the past 48 hours. At this point, we're roughly a week away from the deadline. I understand that we've seen some traction in the House, though. uh, Where do negotiations stand as of today, Shane? And what are the prospects for a shutdown? Yeah, no, there are a lot of complexities here. There's a, a several balls in the air. Um, I think the way to look at it is the House this week uh, passed a government funding bill to fund government operations uh, passed next week until December. Um, what they also did was include a measure to increase the debt ceiling so that um, the nation does not default on its debts. Um, you know, I think... Uh, that while it passed the House, that will not garner sufficient support in the Senate as Republicans, while they're not opposed to increasing the debt ceiling, they want to have some strings attached to start contemplating these serious questions about our nation's uh, debt and deficit, which is continues to grow. Um, so I think what will happen is that, um, you know, the Senate uh, can try and pass this. It won't happen. Uh, that if it, they do want to uh, fund government at this time, they'll have to strip out the debt ceiling language. And I think enough Republicans in the Senate will agree to a simple uh, extension of government funding. But, you know, I think there is a real possibility that we do see a shutdown next week. Um, you've seen uh, President Biden and his administration start um, doing the work of preparing for such a scenario and what that means for different departments and agencies. So, um, this is uh, evolving. Um, I think there'll be um, a lot of ups and downs between now and next week. Uh, but I do want to also take a moment to say that, you know, the, the government sh- potential government shutdown and default on debt ceiling are two different items that have really two different actionable dates. So if there is a government shutdown next week, that does not mean that uh, the U.S. is defaulting on its debt. Um, defaulting on debt would be a, a very uh, notable market event. Um, so, you know, I think that there is more time on that, you know, possibly mid-late October. Uh, we'll hear more probably from Secretary Yellen in uh, a couple of weeks about when the drop dead date is for Congress to act there. And that, you know, eventually may fuel other things to happen. But And there are several ways that Congress could address the debt ceiling. So um, this is all fluid, 
and all worthy of our attention. Well, you put it well by characterizing this as complex shame, because you think about it, we're talking about the government funding bill, you mentioned the debt ceiling, and of course, uh, infrastructure is still being talked about as well. So a a lot of moving parts all at once up on Capitol Hill, Uh, though, Shane, as always, appreciate the clarity uh, and the color on a variety of topics from within the Beltway and beyond. Uh, We'll look forward to following up on some of these topics, including the government funding bill next week. In the meantime, I wish you a nice weekend. Hope you enjoy the fall weather and some football. Thanks, Dan. You too. Take care, everybody. Thank you, Shane. And again, today we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So as a reminder to our listeners and our clients, uh, please be sure to reference the latest Washington Weekly publication, which is available on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.